Welcome everyone, you are listening to the Art of Touring podcast. I am your host, Sizdog. How's it all going? You all good? What's the word on the street? Been to see any good movies lately? I just finished watching um, Faulty Towers. How good is that show? I think I'd seen it as a kid, but uh, the humor just must have gone over my head, so I'd never rewatched it um, as an adult. So I threw it on the uh, the Netflix the other night. Absolutely loved it. What a show, Basil Faulty. Uh, this week on the podcast, I sat down with guitar player Shannon Bourne. Uh, we had a great chat. I've met Shannon a few times in the past, uh, but we hadn't seen each other in many years, so it was great to uh, to see him and get into a conversation with him. Uh, we talk about his touring days with Chris Wilson, Tex Perkins. Um, uh, he shares some really great stories from the road and his early life as a as a guitar player. Art of Touring is brought to you every single Tuesday. You can listen to Art of Touring on iTunes or the recently launched Google Podcasts app. There is some coarse language this week. Uh, so if you are listening with kids, it might be a good idea to throw on the flugels. And then once they're dropped off at daycare, throw Art of Touring back on. Now let's take a moment for this week's sponsor. Okay, Chilo. <laughs> All right, man, we've been in this car for three hours now. Where the hell is this place? I told you, it'd take a little while to get there. What's the name of the place? Uh, the name of the place is, uh... Bob's Country Bunker. Here we are. Bob's Country Bunker? One night I was laying down. I heard Mama and Papa talking. Episode 18 of Art of Touring is brought to you this week by Bob's Country Bunker. Are you looking for a place to drown your sorrows? Are you looking for a hot meal and a cold beer after doing a midnight run state to state in your 18-wheeler? Then come to Bob's Country Bunker. The chicken wire on the stage is there so you can throw a glass of beer at the musicians if they're not playing no Hank Williams song. And remember, Bob's Country Bunker, we've got both kinds of music, country and western. Just so you know, Heart of Turing is hosted by Wooshka. If you would like to listen on your desktop, you can Google Art of Touring and then follow the links to the Wooshka homepage. Before I get into my conversation with Shannon Bourne, I'd like to play some of his music for you. Uh, so here's a track off his latest album, Words Fail, and the song is Suave and Tyrannical. Thank you. 
There we go. I hope that's whet your appetite for my chat with Shannon. Now let's get stuck into the podcast. Give it a listen and I'll catch you at the end with some concluding comments. Welcome to the Art of Touring, everyone. You're here with the Sizz Dog, and this week I'm sitting down with Shannon Bourne, guitar player extraordinaire. How are you, Shannon? I'm pretty good. How are you, David? I'm good, mate. I'm good. I've got a nice glass of water here. You're tucking into a glass of milk. Yeah, that's right. I invited Shannon into the uh, into the home here in Epping, and today. uh, Today, yes. Yeah, short, short notice. Yeah, I said, oh, mate, you want to come on the podcast? He's like, yeah, all right. I'm like, how about tonight? Yeah, all right. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure, I'll do it. It was an easy sell for Shannon tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, well, let's get stuck into it. Where uh, where are you from, mate? Where, where did you grow up? I've grown up around the north, northeast for most of my life. Um, yeah, I... Lived in West Heidelberg when I was a little kid for a while, and then through uh, Watsonia North, lived up there till pretty much till I started going to Montmorency Secondary College. And yep. Now I'm in Greensboro. Greensy. So, yep. That's got definitely gone up in price. Oh, since yeah, since we were kids. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's <clears throat> that's me. But you know, I've being a musician, I've kind of been everywhere man yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well because yeah i had old mate in here a couple of weeks ago brett mm-hmm. wood and um we had a chat about his uh obviously his upbringing and you know yeah. how you guys went to school together and everything yep um and yeah I, I i got to hear his side of you know how you guys met and everything i'd love to hear mm. you know your kind of um recollection re- recollections of of those days in mm-hmm. high school and when you first picked up the guitar yeah yeah okay um <clears throat> well i guess uh i'd always wanted to play from probably from about age 8 was when when i first recall wanting to play guitar yeah um i remember there was just one kicking around at my grandparents place and I just, but, you know, luckily my mum's a huge music fan, got a great record collection. She just seemed to have all the great albums for a guitar player to want to hear. Right. Um, So when I was 10, my sister got a guitar and uh, I was having a bitch about not getting a guitar to my grandma and I always wanted to play. She goes in the middle bedroom and brings out this, (laughs) just this like beaten up. Sort of Jap- like Korean copy of a Fender Strat. She says, "There you go." Wow! So there's my guitar, and so I took that home, and my dad took it off to Main Street Music, which is still there, but under another name. And yeah, it was fixed up, and I started getting lessons. Yeah, so age ten. For age me. ten for you. Mm. And the first guitar you were given was an electric guitar, not an acoustic. No, that's right. Yeah. I- Guitar's a guitar to me at that age. Sure, yeah. You know. Um, but most beginners would be given an acoustic guitar, like, because it's cheaper, yeah. but that was just kind of there. It was there. And, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, you know, it needed a bit of work, but... Um, yeah. I do you still have it? I do. Yes. I still have it. I've I've stripped it, and I've pulled the frets out, and one day I'll turn <laughs> it into a fret. It's a fretless, but I'll one day I'll put it back together. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 
I kept learning and my sister stopped and I think it was because she was playing a classical guitar, you know, she's a year younger than me. She had little hands, big neck. Sure. You know, where I was playing electric, just didn't think didn't even think about it. Just just played. Mm. Um Yeah, it took me a little while to get into sort of loving it, mm. I guess. But I think I worked out a couple of things on my own and uh Oh, this is pretty cool. And then yeah. it was it was like it was literally like an overnight thing. Like I was bitten by the bug and just could not get it out of my hands. Just right. wake up in the morning, guitar on, breakfast, guitar on, go to school, guitar, 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 get home, guitar on, <laughs> yeah. holidays, awesome. I can have my guitar and pajamas on all day. <laughs> you know? It was the dream. Yeah, totally. That's, You'd figured it out at like yeah. thirteen. Yep. And yeah, yeah that's you know, that's... That's where it started. That wasn't even 13. I was 10. That was still then. I was still 10. Yeah. 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 But uh, So, it just took you a little while to kind of get over that hump that once you found your rhythm, so to speak, mm. um, you were like, oh, this is just the coolest thing ever, man. I'm just going to spend my time. I think I had to find my key into it. I think I had to find... Um, you know, some people learn how to play guitar because they saw one someone else do it and it blew their mind. Sure, yeah. It wasn't like that for me. I just wanted to play it. I don't know why. Yeah. Um, and then I think I saw there was this um, video that my mum brought home because mm. they used to run this cake shop in Montmorency. Is that right? Yeah. Like on Weir Street? Yeah. Oh, far out. Down the bottom, um, across the road from the train station. Yeah. I think it was called the Montmorency Cake Tray. Um, they ran that for maybe two years or something. And next door was the fish and chip shop. And there was this guy Immons that worked in there. And <coughs> Immons just gave my mum this video. Oh, your son plays guitar. I'll get him to check this out. You know? Yeah, right. So it was this Gary Moore, Emerald Isles, live in Ireland, 1984 tour. And I, I distinctly remember sitting down with my mum and my dad, just watching it and just, that was it. Like, yeah. That was the guy I saw play that made me go, holy shit, that's, <laughs> I want to be like that guy. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so he was the key, I guess. Mm. Um, and that was still at age 10. Yeah. And so, yeah, he was pretty much my my god mm. you know, at that age. And who was your teacher? Craig Stafford, who was oh. a, part of the local, yep. Craig Stafford, local yeah, teachers. Brett yeah. learnt off Craig as yes, well. Yes. Um, yeah, that was a funny story because my dad was a tow truck driver and he'd towed Craig numerous times because <laughs> Craig had this HQ Holden that <laughs> right. would always break down. Yeah. And um, so it happened that, you know, Craig ended up being my teacher. And, yeah. you know, to me, he was a great teacher and. He had a great record collection and, um, yeah, I think I, I got lessons off him for about eight years. Yeah, right. And then I went to NMIT. And there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was there, obviously, in the year that Brett was there, but he was only there for, uh, you know, about six months. Yeah, that's right. Um, and you were there, uh, obviously, the year above me. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, how long did you do the course for? Did you do the whole thing? I did the two years. You yeah. did do the two years? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. finished it up. Yeah, right on, man. Yep. 
Yeah. And so during high school, um, obviously you played in a band, like a high school kind of jam sessions with, mm. with, with BW. Yeah. Um, but uh, apart from that, were there, are there any other high school bands that you played with? Was it just that kind of core unit for a while? Uh, well, this is a thing. At high school, I started doing gigs when I was at high school. Yeah, so right. I started doing them when I was 14. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so I had that band with Brett mm. and then... You know, high school's high school, and people go their own ways and do their own things. Sure. And I sort of carried it on as a trio, and I started playing gigs, like proper paid gigs, when I was about 15. Yeah. You know, my dad would take me down to the MBAS Blues Jam at the um, Central Club Hotel in Richmond on a Tuesday night. Right. And, you know, we would go down there, um, great education learning how to be a band leader and lead a jam and mm. all that sort of stuff. Um, so I learnt quite a lot doing that. Yeah. I I knew I didn't want to be pigeonholed within that blues idiom because, um, well, you know, pigeonholes are pigeonholes, aren't they? You're, yeah. They're kind of hard to break out of. That's it. Um, but in the, in the core and the heart of a lot, a lot of what I am is that, Sure. Um, just feel and tone and all the phrasing <clears throat> is in there. But, you know, you just, you try and work out, well, you know, if it came down to it, you know, what would my fingerprint sound like Sure. in music? So, yeah. Um, I remember at high school, you know, my high school teachers used to come to the gigs. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, like... Locals, you know, Joe and Marcel Yamuni, right? Sure, yeah. Okay, so Joe was like an early mentor for me. Yeah. And Joe used to run Jet Studios up in Bandura. Is and, that right? Yeah, and that's how I met the Yamunis. Ah, so they ran that before they had the um, Main Street Music. Oh, that was their uncle. That was, that was their that was their cousin. Of course. They're all cousins and uncles and, you know, there's yeah. so many family members. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, Joe... Joe just spotted something and he liked it and sure and so you know gigs would come up at the Greensboro pool and things like that would happen and he would always put my name forward yeah right um, as something to do so a lot of my early gigs were those kinds of things and mm. you know it was the grunge era I wasn't very I know that you particularly love the grunge era but I wasn't um I didn't listen to mainstream radio like every other kid at high school. Sure, yeah, yeah. You know, so I was already on the outer. So Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I mean, as a vocalist, there wasn't really much of a choice for me at the time. Yeah, like, there's not much of a choice these days either. <laughs> yeah. So, that, I mean, that's what I... Those those kind of bands, you know, your Pearl Jams and mm. your Nirvanas and all that as a vocalist. Mm. But as a guitar player, yeah. um, I mean... Uh, my my lady will will tell you as a singer I, I really shouldn't own as many as guitars that I do, you know. But it's still something that I, I still really enjoy. Yeah, and I just love you know playing guitar and you know uh, playing rhythm guitar. There's nothing more I, I really more enjoy than laying down a really you know good rhythm for a lead player to just melt everyone's faces off, and I yeah. can just watch them you know as a fan you know mm. for, uh, being in the band and then watching them do their thing, and that's yeah. what. I always did as well going to gigs just going to see bands 
And even though, like, it would really, it would, it would, re- the singer would have to really do something special for me to go, oh, wow. You know, mm. like, a guy like Andy Grant, you know, mm. when I first heard him sing, I was like, fuck, that dude's got a set of pipes. Mm-hmm. But most of the time when I'd see bands, I'd be more obsessed with the guitar player. Yeah, right. Be like, oh, that, that lick is insane. You know, like, obviously watching Bread and you and, you know, I'm um, seeing Marcel play as well, yeah. you know, back in the early days. And then, you know, then seeing Jack Jones play with Electric Mary and, and yeah. uh, well, not Mary. Before that, it was obviously Erwin Thomas, mm. you know, going to see all those players. Um, yeah. I had a very different um, uh, kind of outlook on the guitar because it was something that didn't come easy to me, but I still really enjoyed it. Yeah. You know? But um, there you go, man. So was your first gig, can you think of actually like, well, which, which one was actually the very first time you got to up in front of an audience and played the guitar? <laughs> yeah, Year 7 Camp. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Year 7 Camp uh, to Hall's Gap. Mm. And I remember it was a particularly shitty camp because, you know, I was one of those drew the short straw, ended up in a tent with somebody I didn't know. Sure. You know. And but then, you know, then it was like, hey, you play guitar as well, you know. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. And um you know, I remember Paul, his name was Daniel Wright. I remember he <laughs> he slept <laughs> <laughs> they put the tent down kind of half on this concrete slab, so he was half on, half off this concrete slab, and it just completely fucked his back. It was <laughs> awesome. You know, oh, oh it was no. so funny. But even then, like, I had my own ideas in terms of fashion. Like, I remember there, I was like, tie t-shirts and plaid pants and Doc Martens. Yeah, that was that, your vibe. Yeah, and that's what I did. And, like, the 90s was the 90s was such a colourful period for fashion. And yeah. Music. Um. But I remember there was like a like a talent thing that happened and I borrowed one of the um one of the teachers acoustic guitars and I played this uh like Bo Diddley song that I'd sort of learnt off a Clapton album and um Right. Just sat up there playing it and they all started clapping in time and it was like, Hey, this is this is pretty awesome, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And then I met a guy who would go on to sort of be my best mate for quite a while. His name was Trent. He was a drummer. And yeah. he got me into Hendrix. And wow. so, you know, that was kind of like the next big phase. Yeah, the Hendrix days. See, but I was still 13 yep. at this point. So, mm. Yeah. And I, I love hearing the stories about the very first gig because it can often be, you know... Uh, a good memory, or mm. or maybe not so good, you know. But obviously, yeah. when when it's a good one, it's a, it's um it's a nice thing. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, so you, you you pick up the guitar at ten, you get lessons, um, and you start playing in yeah. bands in high school, and then you yeah. leave high school, uh, and you do the the course at NMIT. Yep. And then you go on to do what? What's the next step after you leave NMIT? You're what twenty twenty one by this point? No, I was younger than that. Uh. I think I was, yeah, I was 20, 20, yeah. About 20 years yeah. old, yeah. Um, well, during all that period, I'd kind of had my bands and we were doing gigs and I was going out, I was going out underage and watching bands too. Sure. Sorry, milk time. <laughs> um, and then I started teaching in a couple of local schools when I finished. So right. I, I went back to my old high school, went back to Monty Secondary and taught was really weird going back to my old high school and being 
part of the teaching staff. Yeah. Because I was only there two years earlier. Yeah, that is very short period. And teachers are treating you like you're a student. And now it's like there's a difference of two years and all of a sudden they're treating you like <laughs> you're one of them on the level. Yeah. Um, I did that and I taught at a primary school, Alpha North Primary, for a little while. And, you know, teaching's a funny thing. The ones that are into it are awesome. The mm. ones that just can't be bothered, well, I can't be bothered with you either. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough game. Um, but also, it's up to them. If they, you know, if they like... But, I, you know, I think a lot of parents push their kids in so many different directions that they... Just let your kid be. Let them work it out. Yeah, that's you it. Know. Um, and then, whilst I was teaching, I met Chris Wilson, who um, I would essentially play guitar with for the next 18 years yeah right um really intensely for seven years and then there was a period of about a year where we didn't play and then you know we started doing things again and going off and i'd always say to him look you know if you can call me and i can do it i'll always do it i'll always do the gig sure so, yeah yeah and that he's probably my biggest mentor um, you know, that's a, yeah, that's a big one, that one. So, mm, yeah. Chris, yeah. Yeah, and so that, that really, that opened up the world of touring and stagecraft and all the shit that they can't teach you at NMIT. Yes. I learned. On the road. On the road and playing with Chris. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember there was this great story he told me about Booker T and the MGs, those guys would do so many studio sessions, they pretty quickly worked out what they should keep and what they should throw away mm. in terms of skill and ability and all that stuff. So a lot of the stuff that I'd learnt and worked on at NMIT did not come into play for a lot of what, what I ended up doing. Yeah. Um, you know, there's that saying of, 10 rehearsals equals sort of one gig kind of thing. You know, you can yeah. rehearse forever, but until you actually get in front of an audience... It's a very different animal, it? changes isn't it? things, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can definitely relate to that because, I mean, uh, I'm I'm an educator myself. I, I teach mm -hmm. um, high school yeah. music, and we're preparing for a performance this Friday, ironically, um, my, my year 11s, and I was just in the band room today. We were doing... Um, uh, Creep by Radiohead. We actually had to drop that because the the singer couldn't um, swear. <laughs> no, not that. There's no swearing in that anyway. Yeah. Oh, there is. So fucking special. Of course. Yeah, we just say very. <laughs> yeah. I think I've the, sung it that do many the radio times. Edit. Yeah, because I'm yeah, exactly the radio the edit. Christian no, of version. course. Now we could, she couldn't really kind of get it because it's obviously a bloke song, so she couldn't really get the 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 tone. So we we kind of changed the key. But um, we've just gone back to doing one of their our older songs from the start of the year. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we started playing that, I think it was I Want You Back by the Jackson 5. Yeah. It was just great, you know, that yeah. the kids kind of fell straight into it. Um, and I know now that we're going to perform that song instead of Creep, it's going to be fine because, like you said, like, you know, 10 rehearsals equals, you know, one performance. But I know mm. that we have rehearsed that one so much. Um, and the other ones, obviously, like we're doing um, Zombie by the Cranberries, and that's good because that's a female song, you yeah. know. So that'll work for for um for the singer, but um, yeah, 
uh, getting getting them over the line sometimes can be a lot harder than than you think it's going to be. You're like, oh, we'll just you know we'll do this song. Uh, you know, it's these chords. This is how it goes. Here's the middle eight. Here's a solo, and then you work on it for maybe four weeks, and then something something happens, you know, and you have to change it or drop it completely, and you're like, oh man, yeah, you know. But um, it's good. Those guys, they're pretty resilient. So I can I can I can usually actually throw a lot at those guys, and they're they're, they're pretty good. But um, mm-hmm. there you go. Um, so can you tell me about yeah the the touring days with Chris and yeah, um, yeah maybe like. Like one of your favourite memories from the road, like the best gig that you had with him. Um, <clears throat> it's funny. I mean, the idea of the best gig, you know, don't they say your next one's your best gig? Um, I haven't played my best gig yet. That's ahead of me. Yeah, that's right, yeah, exactly. Um, I guess for me, well, that was. I mean, that was really cool in itself. You know, because I used to go watch him when I was underage. Yeah. And I always it's like I'd love to play guitar with this guy, and you know it was just like I got my I got my dream, I got my wish, you know. Yeah. Um. So we started doing a residency at the Dan O'Connell in the front bar. It was every Tuesday night. Yeah. And so you know this was my first sort of feeling of having a late night and having to get up early the next day and go and teach. Sure. God, it was a pain in the ass. Um, <laughs> I do the early mornings so much better now. Um, so I think it was our first tour that we did was the was the east coast of Australia, and yes. so it started in Byron Bay, and it worked its way down to Sydney, right, and. Um, but it was like a triple header. So it was Chris Wilson and, you know, I my name wasn't on the bill then because I was just, you know, going along. Mm. Um, so it was Chris Wilson, Matt Walker and Ashley Davies and Jeff Lang and Angus Diggs. And they, you know, they were like my heroes. Mm. So I'm on the road. My first tour ever is with all the people that I just love. So... <clears throat> That's got to blow your mind. Yeah, you're, well, you're the, pinching yourself. Yeah, and also... And you're in your mid-20s at this point, or not even, like no, still early even. 20s. Yeah, yeah, it's like 21. Yeah, right. Yeah. Straight yeah. in the deep end. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And um, so we did this tour down the coast, and that was sort of my first foray into, you know... Knowing what it's like to, you know, maybe be on a tour with an alcoholic drummer. Yeah. Like the kind of attitude you get off one of those or go and do a sound check at a RSL and have, you know, a table full of pissy, whingy old men staring at you because you're loud during the sound check. And, yeah. Um, you know, all those experiences. And, and all, but also, the funny thing happened on that tour was, um, Chris had this uh, a run of dates with this guy Richard Thompson, incredible singer song uh, artist. Mm. I fucking hate singer songwriters. That's a horrible term. <laughs> artist, uh, artist um, Richard Thompson, who yeah. happens to be an incredible guitar player as well, and um, he got off the phone to somebody in Melbourne and he turned around to me and he said, "Have you got an acoustic guitar?" And I said, well, "I can get one." 
And he said, well, I've got to do these gigs of Richard Thompson, the ones at the Enmore Theatre, one at, the ones at the Arts Centre, there's one in Canberra. Do you want to do it? Okay. You know, <laughs> I just say yes to everything. Yeah, yeah. And so my trajectory was so great. Yeah. My learning curve was massive. Um, so that happened on that on that tour. Sure. You know, so it was like all these things were sort of being set up and... Um, Huh. Yeah, I mean that was the first tour. I mean we we toured so much. They, I think Jeff Lang called us the champions of the midnight drive because right. that would be us leaving at midnight to drive to Sydney or to drive to Adelaide. Yeah, or you know go wherever. Um, and so did you just like were you in like the the Tarago? Did you yeah hide, yeah, yeah just yeah, yeah. just whacked all the gear in the back yeah. of the thing and then went to the next town. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, it'll all be set up. Like Chris had management and uh, sort of to, like a booker. Okay. In those days, so um, so you get to the town, at least you'd know where you were staying and everything, and you'd kind of have like a little time to eat or whatever before. No, the show. not even that. God, like you know, huh. it was pretty. It was pretty rough in terms of touring, um, touring terms, and so that that really set me up for, I guess. Sometimes how little you can actually expect uh, in terms of going on tour. Yeah. You know, like, um, well, you don't get your own room or, God, I didn't get to eat breakfast. I was so, you know, like I was a, a kid from the suburbs. Sure. You know, I want my fucking breakfast. Yeah, you yeah. Know? It's just alien to start the day without breakfast for me. But no, you know, we'd we'd drive overnight to Sydney and then... You know, the first thing you'd think to do would be to go to a hotel and check in. Yeah. No. No. Not us. <laughs> we would get to Sydney and it would be find a cafe, but it would be find a cafe near the record stores and guitar shops because the first thing we would do is hit the guitar shops and the record stores. So you'd get all that out of the way. Right. And you'd be sleep deprived and then, you know... You'd turn up at the, what was the name of that gig? The Excelsior in Surrey Hills. Oh, wow. And go upstairs and the rooms just smelt like rotten socks. You just could not find where the <laughs> socks were. So a lot of the time the com was the venue as well. You sometimes, just, yeah. Well, sometimes yeah. we would just stay there because Chris knew, I mean, Chris could sleep anywhere. Right. You know, find a, find a floor and he would just pull up and go to sleep. So, sure, yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was pretty, you know, and mosquitoes love me and summer in Sydney and there's no fly wire and the window's open. You're just getting eaten. Yeah, yeah. You know, so <laughs> it wasn't very fun, to be honest. No, no, but it doesn't the music, sound like good. the music was the fun part. Yeah, yeah. And that was really what, essentially it was boiled down to the essentials. Is It's always about the gig. Mm. And all you can really hope to take away from a tour experience is the gig. Because yeah. that's why you're there. That's why you're there. Isn't it? The absolute pure, the pure centre of it is the music and the performance. Mm. All the other shit, you know, uh, limousines or cars picking you up or whatever and hotel. It's nice to stay in a nice place. It's nice to feel like a human when you step on stage rather than melt on the stage. Mm. Um but 
that was one of one of many things I learnt from that experience was it is all about the music and yeah. all you have is what you've given. You know, who'd want to drive home from a gig and think, oh, I didn't really do that well tonight or whatever, or you, you didn't really try, you phoned it in. Sure. You know, like, what the fuck are you doing music for if you're going to phone it in? Yeah, it's like pointless. how I feel when I leave a covers gig, basically. Because <laughs> if I'm doing original tunes, forget yeah. about it. I leave yeah. it all on the floor, you know. Yeah. But if it's, um, yeah, I definitely would, would say, yeah, if you're just doing covers and you're getting paid, then, yeah, you really are phoning it in because essentially you're not playing your own tunes and your heart's no. not in it, is it? But if your heart is in it, then, yeah, that's why you're there, man. Yeah. Yeah. But also, you know... What do you want to make it as well? Yeah, right. You can make it something if you want. Sure. That covers gig. It can just be a funny little joke within a band or play all the games with one another to make it good. Yeah. Or if you're going to play a cover, really try and nail the fuck out of it. Yeah, right. Really try and nail every part and get it right rather than going up and going, oh, I kind of know it. Sure. I kind of know it, you know, because there's art in all those things. Yeah. Someone took the time to play that. Someone took the time to come up with that bass part or that guitar part. Yeah. You know, listen to it if you've got the time. Yeah, of course. Listen to it and put into it. You know? mm, mm. Yeah. There you go, man. You kind of touched on it just now, but I kind of would like to see if I can get a, a little bit more out of you on, on, on this one question, and that is um, the... Uh, the worst kind of experience you've had on the road and, and maybe gig-wise where someone maybe right. threw something at you or <laughs> yeah. you didn't get paid or you got into a fight with somebody. Is there any juicy stories like that? Oh, no, I got paid. Always got paid. Always um, got paid? I've always... I think I've always been looked after. Mm. I think I've been taking a ride for, though, too, sometimes. But um, yeah. we were going to the Byron Bay Blues Festival one year to play. Right. And um, As you do, because that's, you know... That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I think we played there a couple of times, maybe yeah, two man. or three times, I can't remember, but that was... That would be pretty wild. Yeah, well, you know, like... when Big crowd. Yeah, like the only time I'd ever been was 99, and that was a punter, and then the next time I go, I'm standing on stage. Dude! one of those. Yes! So that's the thing... And so, you know, this sounds like a best gig, not the worst so far. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, it was the first one. Yeah. And it was, um, we'd done one of those Champion of the Midnight Drive things again. You'd gotten all the way there from Melbourne. We'd driven to play. from Melbourne to Newcastle. Oh, dude. And I remember we got to Newcastle, it would have been maybe midday or something like that. Yeah. Or 12.30. And we had this little mate of mine, um, come along Chris asked him if he would come and just play with us so you know it was a full band and and my friend he's he's like a little person he's completely in proportion but he's a little person okay um really good little guitar player his name's David Lowry Mm. and uh he actually took me to my first Chris Wilson gigs Hmm. which was great, underage at the public bar in West Melbourne. Um, <clears throat> but we got up on stage at this place called, I think it was called Finn McCool's, this venue, and we're playing away, and we got Dave up to play, and so Dave got up and started playing, started making these mistakes, you know, hmm. and I was standing there just getting like frustrated, like, 
how could you fuck that up? You know, it's a yeah. 12 bar in E or something like that. And sure. And the funny little things were happening and... Anyway, you know, he stepped off the stage and he stepped off the stage in this funny sort of manner and, you know, um, it was just a big day and we did the gig and I remember we were sitting in the front bar at the end and, you know, I, I was, and still am pretty much, you know, I like my sleep. I like to keep regular hours. Yes. Um, so we're sitting there and I said, well, I'm going to go to bed. So, and Chris... And Dave and I were sharing a bedroom. Mm. And so I went in, and Dave was there, and I was here, and Chris was over there. And I was, oh, good night, you know. And I went went off to sleep, and I don't know how much longer it was, but I woke up, and Dave was, like, half on the bed and half off the bed. And Chris wasn't in the room. He'd just gone out to have a smoke. I said, what's going on, man? He said, I can't walk. Oh, man. I was like, okay, all right. And so I, I picked him up and I sort of tried to get him to straighten up and and he fell. I was like, oh, fuck, I don't know what's going on. So uh, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to go to the toilet. Okay, I'll carry you. So I carried him to the bathroom Jeez. and I took him in and I just, I stood behind him and I let him go and he kept falling, kept falling to one side. And, you know, like... I'm, half asleep and it's like fucking it's like some weird dream yeah and chris comes back and i said something's going on it's really weird and then he keeps it cool and calls an ambulance and then um ambulance comes takes him away and he says you go and get dave and you meet me at the hospital i don't know which hospital it is you know Mm. so i go and knock on drummer's door and I think he had may have had you know someone that he met in the bar in his room <laughs> of course he did yeah the drummer pulls yeah <laughs> what are the chances yeah they do <laughs> right and um I think he may have been just about to come down to it sure and I'm knocking on the door, on the door. and the door opens I said Something's happened. We have to go to the hospital. You've got to drive me. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, all right. So, yeah, he turns around to whoever it was and tells them, <laughs> and they completely crack the shit. <laughs> you know, it's awesome. You know, you'd think you'd been working all night on, no, it's not going to happen. Not going to happen. <laughs> um, it ain't going to happen. So, we get in the Tarago, and he's probably still drunk or something you yeah. know because they would have stayed up drinking through the night sure and we end up at the, i think it was john hunter hospital or something like that and we go in and it's just that weird thing of sitting in the um in the waiting room and just i don't know what the fuck is going on here and then i come out to the car and have a sleep and we all have a well you know and chris comes out because he was, you know, awake and staying awake for everything. Sure. He comes out and he says, look, Dave's had a stroke oh. and, you know, he's lost the motor functions on the left, left-hand left side of his body. And, yeah. And so, and, <clears throat> you know, sometimes the mark of a person in terms of what really matters mm. comes down to what they're willing to let go of for a person. Mm. So we were sitting in the car and he said to me, 
if you want, we don't have to do Byron Bay. Mm. If you don't feel like doing it, we won't do it. Far out. And so I'm thinking, well, we we came to do it. We should do it, you know. Mm. And so we did it. So that's probably the worst thing that's happened on the road. Man. Um, And I just remember standing in the shower the next day for about three hours just standing there because I just couldn't really compute what had happened. Yeah. And we went up and did our gig. And, you know, my my dad and my sister and friends went up to Byron Bay and they all met me at the gate and they were all smiling and I'm just like... Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> like traumatic stress sort of shit. Yeah. Um, and so we did the gigs and they were great, successful shows. Yes. Um, and then we drove back down and we pulled into the hospital on the way through and saw Dave and then, mm. you know, so that's... Did he pull of, up all right? Um, he kind of did for a little while. Yeah. But, you know, you lose part of your motor function, so... So it wasn't temporary, like it was... No, it was permanent. It's permanent, so... Because I know that the balls, Bell's palsy is, mm. is a similar thing, but it's it's not not permanent like you'll lose like feeling in the whole side of your body yeah but then it can come good yeah um but yeah poor dave he didn't come good no he didn't oh man um so that was that would have been so hard to play it was really well you know it it wasn't it wasn't hard to play i was was just playing yeah but i just I think I didn't know myself very well at that particular point in time, so sure. I just said, yes, I will go and I will play and I'll get through this. And mm. I think when you're younger, you, you do that, you play and you get through it. And I think when you get older, you actually, you know your limit. Yeah. You know how much you can take on, you know, um, if it's good for you to go and do that gig, if you're in a bit of a state or not. Mm. So... Yeah, um, pretty full on, man. Yeah, that was that was very full on. Yeah, <laughs> far out. Yeah, so that's that's a, a bit of a nego story from the road. <laughs> that's all right, man. We can flip it around. Do you have any funny stories from the road? Um, let me think. Actually, yeah. We're playing at the Gympie Muster, which is this weekend coming up. Are playing... you playing there again? No, I'm not. But you um, were there. Yeah, I've played there quite a few times. The Gympie. Mu- the Gympie... Gympie Music Muster. Music Country Music Muster. Country Music Muster, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember um, Chris used to make these great tour, like, tour Tarago tapes, and they'd all have different names. Like, you know, there was Mysterious Hairs. And there was like a seventies cocaine rock tape that was oh fuck me nose fell off, you know. <laughs> the names like, of the mix they were great, <laughs> but there was one particular tape that was just fucking balls to the wall rose tattoo. Right, and he would put it on, and we'd be motoring up the road, and I think I was probably still in Chopland in terms of my head as a player, so I. You know, I didn't really get what it was about. Sure. But 
if he told me to check anything out, I'd go check it out. Yeah. So we're driving up the road, listening to this tape over and over fucking again. <laughs> and at some point during the tour, because I think that may have been a three-week tour that okay. we're, we're away. Yeah. some point during the tour, the tape went missing. Now, I can say that I didn't throw it out. Right. <laughs> wasn't you. Wasn't me. But he seems to think that the drummer threw the tape out. Oh, made through you know, the tape. Yeah. <laughs> so, I just had this... <laughs> I just had this image of this Tarago muttering up the road and this fucking rose tattoo tape flying out the window <laughs> and it laying in the grass next to the humes somewhere. Somewhere, you know. yeah. Um, and so we're up at the Gimpy Muster and we played a show and then Angry Anderson was on next. Oh, with, okay. With um, oh, Pete Wells, the slide player that played yeah, in right. Rose Tattoo. Yeah. And so we were backstage talking to them, and Chris was talking to Pete Wells, and he calls Dave over, the drummer, and says, Dave, I want you to meet somebody. <laughs> so he comes over, you know, and he says, Dave, this is Pete Wells. Pete Wells played guitar in um, Rose Tattoo. Dave threw your tape out of the Tarago. <laughs> and then he just turned around and walked away, and we walked away, and we left the pair of them there, you know. <laughs> So that was like, <laughs> oh a, man, that was a pretty funny moment. Fantastic, yeah, yes. <laughs> I can't imagine how how that must have went down because he he would have been feeling like, oh, what what an asshole! Why would you throw my tape out? And obviously, Chris didn't give the context that he's been playing the same tape all the way up to I know. to Gimpy. I know. And there's poor Dave in the back. Really, do I have to listen to Rose Tattoo again? Yeah, yeah. Nice you know, I actually saw a, yeah, a rose tattoo um, uh, a pokey machine at, at the, at the oh, really? Crown Casino, yeah. Wow. I think someone else told a rose tattoo story, and I think I might have mentioned that on a previous podcast, but um, yeah, man, if you're ever at the, the Crown Casino, there's one there with Angry Anderson and a whole bunch of tattoos as, as all the Spouting his political views. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you get the jackpot, he's going, yeah. That's yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> Oh, look, he just built another play playground for the kids. Mm. Get old angry. Oh, um, man. Yeah, so that was a... That is a good story, man. That was a funny one. I'm trying to think if there's any funny Tex Perkins ones. You've played with Tex Perkins? Yeah, I did The Man in Black for like a year and a half, two years. Okay. Um, What's he, could he, be, like? he could be quite funny. Can he? He could be quite funny, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I saw Tex Perkins and... Um, Old mate from UMI, um, Tim Rogers. Tim Rogers. Yep. They did a gig, and they they would do. They did the support for Powderfinger at one point, right? And that's the only time I ever seen either of those Aussie icons, you know. Yep. Um, but um, yeah, you 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 were playing with him at one point. You were saying, yeah, we we did this like Johnny Cash thing. Mm. There was a DVD made and all that stuff, and we actually made a. It was like an offshoot of it called the Band of Gold, where we did this album of like really great country songs yeah cool um just trying to think. i mean he could be really funny just on stage <laughs> <clears throat> the shit some of the but yeah it would be more sort of um just night to night he might change something um 
but yeah, he could he could have his moments of funniness and also an amazing singer. Just yeah. you know, incredible tone. Yeah, he's the man, isn't he? Yeah, he's pretty good. Tex Perkins. So yeah, you've played with Tex, you've played with um with Chris Wilson over the years as well. Yeah. Um uh you're going to have to school me on your your history, man, because I, I'm certainly I'm, I'm in the in the dark when it comes to the acts that you've actually played with. Are there any other ones that, that you'd like to mention um, that have um, some stories behind them? Well, I played the guitar on the last three Russell Morris albums, and they were the sort of Aria Award winning, you know, things. Yeah, plat- platinum selling ones. So yeah, right on. Yeah, a lot of my guitars were all over that. Um, just on the records, or did you get to go out on the road with him as well? No, I'm, I pretty much just. I mean, I've I've written, I sort of co-write with him and do the search the studio sessions, but mm-hmm. I think I'm, I you know, I'm interested in the way music changes when it hits the stage, whereas he likes to play those songs like they're pop songs. That that's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and it has a solo, and that's pretty much the way it's going to go. Right. And so I remember I did a support for him and then I just remember standing back and it was really weird because the guy was playing all my guitar parts back at me. But oh, it was a weird experience. You know? it's not, he had another touring guitarist. Yeah, Pete, you know Pete Robinson? Yeah, Pete. Oh, yeah. of course. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So yeah, Pete yeah. Plays, plays in there and... You know, so <laughs> He's pe- gone and learnt your guitar parts. I know it's really weird because you know he turned around at one point. And he goes, "You like the way I got that shitty guitar sound that you got on that song on the recording?" <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> Fantastic. You know, so a uh, good friendly rivalry there. Then. It's bizarre just hearing that. You know, yeah. it's like somebody kissing your girlfriend or something. It's yeah. I couldn't imagine someone singing one of my tunes, man. Like that's essentially what's what you're experiencing, you know. Yeah. That's I've never experienced that, so that would really blow my mind, you know. Maybe one day when my my twins grow up, they might cover one of old old dad's songs. You should do that. Yeah. Yeah. They can play at your 50th or something like right? that. Right. They should do your 50th and Bloody play one of your songs. Yeah, they they what so I'm 38 now. Mm-hmm. By the time I'm 50, they'll be 16, 17. Yeah, I'll have taught him one of my tunes by then. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Hopefully taught him a bit of guitar, maybe piano, who knows? Well, if there's enough guitars around here, I'm sure you will. That's it, mate. Yeah, I'll just give one of them to each of them and they can go nuts. Well, talking about family, do you have any family of your own? Are you, no. No? I, I've just uh, got a sister and a mum and dad. Yeah. Um, lots of guitars. Yeah, you live in the bachelor life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that's that's good and bad. Um, yeah, I don't know. You know, music's, music's tough and it's tough on the people that play it mm. because it's... <clears throat> I hate to sort of be the cliche, yeah. you know, but it is like a drug, yeah. you know, and so there's not really much that can actually compare to playing music. Um so, when you've got something that's part of your life that is like that, but it's also something that's quite mystical and... Yeah. You know, it's... It's essentially consumed it's like you're married your to life, something else, it? you yeah, know. It's, yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's not uncommon, man. Like, I, I, whenever I ask that question, it's it's either 50-50 where the people 
especially our age, you know, have yeah. kids or not, or even a partner, you know, because a lot of the time is they'll say, well, your kind of music is my partner or music is my family, essentially, yeah. you know, my bandmates, I have to look after them and, you know, yeah. whatever else. So it's certainly not uncommon, man. It's funny, though, because, yeah. you know, um, I can't stand people that say, oh, my guitar got stolen. It was like someone stole my child, <laughs> you know, and it's like, well, do you have a child? No. Well, you don't. No. No, yeah. You can't equate an instrument with a person. Yeah. And I think that's essentially, you know, people say they're married to their music or whatever. I think they just gave up. <laughs> <laughs> I think they just gave up on people. Or, right. Or something like that because there's nothing that equates to great people. No, that's right, man. Yeah. Because yeah. great music, you know, you can experience that any time on your own in your car. Yeah. You know, great people, you know, that, I think that's kind of where it's at. Yeah, man. You know? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, obviously, I mean, I'm married with kids and, you know, I, whenever I write my tunes, you know, nine times out of ten, I'm thinking of my lady, you know, when I'm writing a song, especially if it's kind of like a love song or something, you know, or mm. if it's got a little bit of a, a mushy element to it, I certainly have that yep. point of call, which is good because, you know, it brings some authenticity and some, you know, genuine feelings across, hopefully, you know. Um, when you're writing yeah. a tune, but um, talking about writing tunes, I yeah. um I, I was having a quick look at um the old YouTube's mm. this afternoon, um and uh, you released a, a record recently. Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. Um, Words fail. Yes, that's right. Is the name of it? Yeah, and it's an instrumental, um, improvised instrumental guitar album. Yeah, right. Um. Which, it's, you know, it, it felt more natural to me to do it that way than to actually write anything. Sure. Um, I remember my friend Jeff Lang recorded it, who was on that first tour over did with Chris, you know, like, here are my heroes, and it's like, you know, 18 years down the track, I'm sitting at his place in Faulkner recording an album with him. Yeah, yeah. Um <clears throat> Full circle, man. It's just, yeah, it's incredible, it's sort of that, the families and people spin out and then they come back and... Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think, for me, music has really sort of become more about sort of expression, like a, a more of a, a pure sort of form of expression sort of unpretentious, unthought about it, don't think about it, I'm just playing. Yeah. Um, and I'm opening myself up to the, to to whatever comes um, through playing-wise. Mm. That's when the best stuff happens. Yeah. Um, I've played in plenty of bands where there's a beginning, a middle and an end. Yep. And it's nice and there's something nice and challenging about a short, snippy solo or, you know... Um, I've, you know, I also sing. I've also done my albums with my songs on them too. Sure. Um, but I just felt for this one, everything I kind of had to say, I guess, was maybe with my instrument. Yeah. You know, I've I, I've said it in interviews, you know, I just, oh, fucking everyone's telling me their feelings. Everyone's saying their feelings on this and that and the other and it's yeah. all over Facebook and it's fucking there. Well... How about you just feel some of those feelings, you know, rather than just whacking them out online? 
Sure. Oh, PM me, babe. You know, and all that kind of crap. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, just, yeah, the status updates, man. Like, I'll, I'll, I literally have Facebook just so I can kind of promote the shows these days. Yeah, I, and and obviously, I, I use it to promote the podcast yeah. as well as a muso. I mean, it's the platform that we have, and it's a good way to, you know, to get across it. But when yeah. it, I know what you mean. When, you, yeah. when you're looking at your news feed and people are just complaining and bitching yeah. about stuff, you're like, fuck, man, get off your bloody high horse, man. Well, if, I do an emo- I mean, if I do an emotional post, which I have done, I do yeah. them occasionally, I'll let people in. Um, mm. I always there's a sense of resolve when I write something. It's not like it's left out there open ended. There's actually a, a, a point to what I've written and the story and people sure. to relate to it. So it might sound dire, but it hits a point where it's like, well, no, it, it all came together. And so I'm actually just trying to say this thing happened, and I worked on it, and it was really cool, mm. and just a way of maybe helping people. Because people feel so alone within in their things too. Yeah, you know, I, I guess for that way, it's a good thing, especially when yeah, if if you are going through something yeah. and you've got that little social network, yeah. people might need that kind of you know connection. Yeah. You know, if they can't pick up the phone and talk to their buddy or or whoever, yeah. that that it, it is filling that void for them, which is cool, man. You know, the, I think the beauty of of really great instrumental music. Is um, it leaves enough room for the listener to exist within it? Sure, you know. So rather than having, you know, uh, <clears throat> well, I don't want to say a veil, the veil of lyrics, but there is a there is a wall. Yeah, well, when you're singing about a specific topic, yeah. then that makes, yeah. you know... You're delivering it. You're delivering that yeah. issue or that, you know, sentiment to the person. But if you just if it's just the music, yeah, just like when you're looking at a painting or an abstract yeah. painting, like well, yeah. they can take whatever they want from That's it. That's exactly right. You can take what you want from this piece of instrumental music. Yeah. Yeah, whether it's in a minor key or a major key, it yeah. doesn't really matter. You yeah. Know? yeah, it's just a space for people to exist within... You know, yeah, man. I think that's, the, cool. that's the best stuff. It's like books, you know. Mm. We all imagine. Like I read this book, Breakfast of Champions, by um, Kurt Vonnegut, and I read it <clears throat> from beginning to end. And my um, internal narrator mm. had a particular voice. The way I was reading it was the way I'd imagined it. Sure. And then I got on YouTube and I heard a clip of Kurt Vonnegut reading it and it sounded completely different. Yes. Reading it with his voice and it was funny. (laughs) When he read it, it was funny and really black. Everyone talks about the black humor of it. Sure. Whereas when I read it, it was like, you know, I, I... Really heavy. Yeah, I wasn't very. I wasn't feeling a lot of fun at that particular point when I was reading it. So it's like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, yeah, turmoil. But when to hear him reading, it was just like, oh wow, yeah, that's really funny now. I might reread it and try and read it in that voice. Right. You know. Yeah, it's interesting when you can kind of take the context out of something like that. Yeah. Like, um, if I can kind of nerd out for a moment, nerd out. there was, there was last, um, I think it was the beginning of the year or the start of last year, Star Trek got a reboot on Netflix and yeah. they called it Star Trek Discovery. 
Yeah. And um, spoiler alert for either of you. Have you seen it or? No. No, not a Star Trek guy. No. Um, well, basically, everyone's watching it week to week. And I've got a couple of friends that I can call up. Oh, you know, did you watch Star Trek? You know, yeah. and and we're watching it and we're all thinking, fuck, this is just not Trek, man. This is wrong what they're doing to this show, you know. Yeah. Because it's it's an intellectual property that so many people really enjoy, you know. Yeah. It's just like the you know Marvel Cinematic Universe or the Star Wars Universe. You you got this connection to these characters, and mm. what they were doing to the show was basically something that you know had never really been done before. Yeah. And I want to go back now that I won't do the spoiler because someone will get real pissed, and I don't want to piss anyone off if they are intending to watch it, but. I mean, this is a good ad for it. Go watch it because it is actually really good. Yeah. But now I want to go back and re-watch the show knowing mm. what the end is. Yeah. Because when I first watched it, not knowing what the end was, I was like, oh, this sucks. Da, yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah. But now having the context, it's going to be so cool to re-watch, yeah. you know. <laughs> like, I, I guess, like, you could maybe, I mean, you've seen Breaking Bad, surely. Yes. You've seen Breaking Bad, yes, right. I yes. So I guess it'd be the same kind of thing of rewatching that, knowing what happens to Walter White at the end and yeah. Jesse and all the rest of it. You yeah, know? yeah. Yeah, I know. There you go. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, talking about the tunes, how do you actually come up with like with the songs? Like, How do you write them? Like, Do you go, okay, I want to write a slow ballad or I want to write like a big, heavy, bluesy rock tune kind of thing? Like, how do you, how, What's the process? Take us through the process. Well, on, like on more of my lyric-based songs... Well, yeah, let's start there, yeah. Okay. Um, oh, just, just essentially, it's just an earworm. It's whatever sticks. Yep. Um, it can be sitting, just nutting something out, um, working something till it sounds different enough. Yeah. Um, I used to think about the balance of albums, about having enough of this, having enough of that, um, to sort of give a full sort of dynamic experience I guess yeah um, <clears throat> I'm starting to think less and less about that and more about the idea of it just being a statement of, of what it, whatever it is sure um, so I guess it's just whatever feels right mm. I think my first album which I did with Marcel mm. um, was my first album and Captain Vibe Studio Captain Vibe Productions Productions Sorry, I've got this nose thing going on. That's okay. Um, so, I hadn't done anything <clears throat> for myself prior to that point, really. Right, right. Just demo tapes and stuff, you know. Yeah. So, that album still sounds great, and I can put that on now, and it still sounds like it's happening now. Yeah. Um, but I think, in my mind... I definitely had some of my own ideas in terms of how I think certain songs should have gone. Sure. And so, the first one was a great stepping stone. The second one, which was Dark Things, I uh, made it really... I was really broke. <laughs> and um, it took about a year and a half, two years to do. Yeah, right. But... um, and Was that with... um. With Marcel as, as no, well? that was uh, over at Thirty Mill Studios in Brunswick. Yeah, right? and I started to get more of those production ideas I had right. happening, like uh, just some of the darker tones and more of the slightly ambient sounds, and you know, some people heard 
couple of the songs and were like, this is, it's like blues. It's got the feel of blues, but it's something else, you know. It's really, yeah. it's sort of so, like some alternative blues or something. Sure. Um, and then I did a live album, which was out of the launch of that, that mm. album. And then uh, we're up to Words Fail. Which, yeah. Um, I guess felt right. I guess for me at the point, the most natural thing uh, to me at that point was playing guitar. So Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, well, I actually just started a new thing with the podcast last week, and that is because I was talking to a couple of friends about the podcast and, and, and how they felt about it, and yep. one of them suggested that... Um, you know, I should play some music um, to give the context for the listeners at home um, uh, that don't know the artists who are being interviewed. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'll, I'll put it to you now. If, if Is that all right if we play one of your songs? Of course. Awesome. Yeah. Um, well, well, we'll throw that at the start of the podcast. Yep. What one can um, can we throw on there? Well, uh, well, like something from the new album, I think. Yeah. I reckon um, maybe Suave and Tyrannical. Yeah. Um probably because it's it's a shorter piece. Yeah. Uh because I think the the biggest piece on the album is over 14 minutes long. Yeah, that's a long one, man. Yeah. It's great though cuz you just put, put the like that album. I just knew something special was going was I put it on and I didn't feel like it was mine. Oh, wow. And I could just drive and listen to it and it was just it just puts me in this really peaceful place. That's cool. When I listen to it. So yeah, it because it's improvised and I didn't write anything. It doesn't yeah. feel like it's mine. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sweet. Well, we'll certainly have um, by this point. Yeah, we'll have heard Smile and Tyrannical yeah. or a portion thereof. We don't want to give everything away too That's soon, right. yeah. so people can uh, get a taste of of um, of uh, Shannon Bourne's uh, Words Fail album. Yeah. Um, I guess we're kind of winding down here, man. Um, yeah. Uh, thanks so much for coming in and talking. Thank you. Telling me the stories. Yeah. I apologise I didn't um, prepare as as well as I usually do for yeah. interviews. It's okay. Um, but um, I think we've got some good stuff in there, man. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I was, I was just trying to think, like, there's probably heaps of other things I could think about it or talk about at another point. You yeah, know? yeah. you know, this is just getting comfy. Yeah, right. <laughs> now, if you've got another story, man, please hit, hit us with it because, I mean, that's the beauty of the, of the podcast. We are creating our own landscape. We can go for yeah. as short or as long as we want, you know. I guess so. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything. <laughs> <laughs> I just generally a bit of prompting will help. Um, yeah. I don't know. Have you covered all your questions off there? I think I have. I've got worst gig, best gig, stories from the road, family, yeah. um, uh, where your first gig was. <laughs> How often do you tour, actually? Because are you still playing with Chris at the moment? No, because he's, uh, well, he's got pancreatic cancer, so he's pretty sick. Um, yeah. But <clears throat> I haven't really done a lot of touring for the last little while. Um, but I did spend a lot of time touring. Mm. And um, I do like touring. Um, so other than Chris, were, were there any other acts that, like, and obviously you've, you've mentioned um, mm. Tex Perkins mm. and uh, 
and you played for Russell Morris on the albums. Yeah. But yeah, were there any other acts that you that sometimes you'd get the call and you'd go, oh yeah, you know, let's head on the road I, with those I guys? I played on a Black Sorrows album. Oh, once, wow. Which is good. Yeah. Um, I've got another musical sort of project. I mean, I've got my band, Shannon Bourne Band, you know. Yeah. Imaginative title. Um, <laughs> yeah. How did you come up with that? I know, right? Um <laughs> <clears throat> Because you do the Cherry Bar. I've seen Shannon Bourne band yeah, I promoted the Cherry. The cherry. Um, I play in this band called Checkerboard Lounge, which is like some crazy soul acid jazz band. It's it's amazing. And again, it's one of those bands where I feel like I'm not in it. <laughs> right. Even when I'm playing in it, I don't feel, I feel like I'm sort of levitating above the band kind or something. watching them. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing experience. Um I kind of can relate to that a tiny bit yep. in my own way when I'm playing with um, Smokestack Rhino. Yep. Because when we have a part in our live show where the drummer and the bass player do a drum and bass solo. Yeah. And it always takes me back to the very first gig I saw them playing at the ESPY. Right. And that was like one of the moments where I was like, oh man, I want to play in this band. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Because together, when they do, it's like a Stu Ham cover. They're going to kill me if I get that wrong. Um, but whenever they're playing it, I go, oh man, this is cool. And I do, oh, actually, I'm really quite cheeky. I get out the phone and film them like pretty much every gig yeah, yeah. at that point of the yeah. show, you know? Um, but, uh, yeah, man. Well, sorry, I, I cut you off. What you were, you were saying about, um, yeah, you were playing with a checkerboard lounge, did you say? Yeah, played with checkerboard lounge. Yeah, yeah, right on. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I've got an improv uh, improv trio with this guy Luke Hodgson and uh, this drummer Lee Fisher, which is sort of another sort of another type of freedom. Yeah, you know, just a, a trio that no one's the boss. Someone just starts something, and we just start going and playing. And yeah, you know, I remember we did the Melbourne guitar Melbourne guitar show one year. And we were put first thing in the morning on a Saturday morning. It was Man. like six degrees or seven degrees. It was outside. Oh. Yeah, it was brutal. That's rough. And we just went out there and hammered a C chord for about 10 minutes. <laughs> and it was amazing. It was just like this. It's amazing when you're playing that type of stuff. It's like you start playing and then it, it's sort of, if you close your eyes, it's, it's almost like all the parts are jostling and then there's a point where it all locks in and it's like a jet seat or something like that and it just takes off. Yeah. And it's like we're all in it now and it's just this, like this tumbling power or something. It's mm. it's an amazing thing and we've only ever done two gigs. We've played a hell of a lot together but yeah, um, we need to do more. There yeah. was one thing I did want to ask before we finish. Yeah. You did mention at the start of the interview that you taught... Um, guitar at your old school, mm. and uh, I do producing as well. I've produced a few albums too. Right, yeah. Well, because that was my question. What What do you do with your days? What's your day gig? I actually do um, disability work. Yeah, yeah, right. So I chaperone adults with disabilities to a, a, a like a day centre. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I do days. I've done music with them. Um, you know, <clears throat> music industry's funny, you know, it can turn people up sort of pretty insular, but I think 
doing jobs like that is pretty important. It certainly it gets you sorted out in terms of being a human. Yeah, man. I think that's really important. I reckon, like everyone sort of goes up there and asks for a little bit of their lives. I think. Sure. But there's a point where you just sort of got to come out of that. And I was doing a talk at the Melbourne Guitar Show one year, and somebody asked this question about if you pick up a guitar magazine, you'll turn over for an ad for GIT or something like that, and it'll be like Monday, rocking out, Tuesday, sessions, 2 p.m., writing session with blah, yeah. you know, Wednesday, reggae studies, you know, all that kind of bullshit. And this guy was going, is that what it's like? Is that what it's like? Because this is telling us that this is achievable. Right. Or is it a lie? And... <sighs> So it was really interesting coming down the line, hearing the other guitar players talk about the other types of jobs they've had to do. Sure. You know, and it got to me and I said, look, I do disability work and I just figure that <coughs> um, you, there's, there's certain industries that need people in them and need yeah. good people in them so yeah disability aged care and the funeral industry yeah. you think about the industries that are just gonna have work right funeral people are fucking dying all the time yeah they, you know people um, to sort that out you know people are getting old and getting dementia or need care so they're gonna need people to care for them and what was the catalyst for you to go into the to the the disability um, sector? Well, my my family do that type of thing, right? You know, yeah. my mum, my mum does uh, like sort of supervising on a bus, and she is an ES at a school, and my dad drives a bus with kids with disabilities. Sure, my sister actually works for Banyul City Council in disability, and. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's just funny how it's sort of turned around. And I remember it came along at... I got to the end of one year and I'd worked my ass off mm. just to get gigs and dealing with band bookers that don't email you back. It's just... Make a, a living, yeah. of my existence. It's so annoying. Mm. So, I got that to the end of the year. brought in some normalcy into your life. Yeah, and I was just, just like, I can't continue like this. I can't continue playing music being this broke. Yeah. Um, I need something else. And this job came along and it was, at that point, it was two days a week and it was four hours a day split shift. Yeah. So, eight hours a week. Hmm. Yeah, I'll do it. And, you know, it was a learning curve. But... I'm so thankful for it, you know, um, because also I've been able to incorporate some of my music stuff in there and yeah. actually sort of play and realise the effect of some of the stuff you can actually do, actually how it helps people. Yeah, man. If you can calm a room by just playing something really pretty. Yeah. You know, that's it's like, well, there's music again. There's the magic of it. Yeah, man, it's... I remember when my uh, my grandmother was still with us. Yeah. Um, there was there was a time where uh, she was at the home and and I'd bring my acoustic guitar down on a Sunday afternoon and play for her and the other residents and yeah, it was always just the 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 best and the worst gig at the same time. 
Yeah. It was just the the power of music kind of I've got this skill, I've got this, you know, guitar and this voice and and yeah. any other gig it's literally like a kind of like a a crutch, but at that gig it's it's uh it was it was a a, a real powerful thing, you know. Yeah. And to bring some light in, into their day. Yeah. Um was just yeah, it, it was such a cool thing. You know, and like, well, I do that at school too. Like the kids next term, we're going, we're we're going to the old folks' home, and uh, we'll be playing um, acoustic to to those guys as well. Yeah. And whenever I put it to the kids, I always go, "It's one of the most rewarding things you can do, man." Yeah. With if I see some groans in the in the classroom, you know, I go, "No, nah, man, you don't understand. This yeah. is a really cool thing that we are privileged mm. to get to do." You know. I think that's. I think it's really important. I don't have kids, but if I ever had them, mm. it would try and get them into the community really early, community-minded, really yes. young. Yes. That way, it gets them thinking about other people mm. and gets them thinking about how a community works. Yeah, man. Or being a part of a community. Um you know, because if you can go and do those things that feed your soul, mm. you know, really, that's what it's about, feeding your soul. And, you know, and there are times where you get worn out by it too because it is, it is taxing as oh, well. Big time. You know, but I figure that whatever you're doing, you should really do it. Should really do it. Yeah, really commit to it. Yeah, don't, yeah. don't have areas of your life where it's, oh, yeah, just so-so. Fuck that. Yeah, you got to commit to it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned um, working with dis- dis- disabled peoples um, because... Uh, people the, with disabilities. People with di- disabilities. <laughs> I apologize. Um, I knew I'd stuff that up. That's okay. Because <laughs> um, one of the first uh, 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 guests that I had on the show yep. was um, Skullfork. Yep. And they're a metal band out of... Um, uh, Philip Island. Yeah, right. And one one of the um the member, well, two of the members are able bodied, mm. um, and the other two um have disabilities. Yeah. Um, and uh, it was great to hear their story. Yeah. Um, and it's really good to hear another musician um who's actually in that field because yeah, like I said, it's it's so rewarding, you know. Yeah. It's a good thing, dude. And I think it's a it's I reckon it's it's really good for your um temperament. Yeah. You know, and um, <clears throat> I mean, not everyone can do it as well. You've got to be able yeah. to read situations and stuff like that. But I think you've played at enough shitty venues and watched things from stage happen, all that. You start working out how to work people. Yeah, and read people. Read, read situations. Yeah, man. You know, so that's that's the part that you don't learn in MIT. That's right. It's the psychology of the, well, if a fight breaks out, what mm-hmm. am I going to do? Yeah. I'm going to do this. I, You know... If there's a bunch of people talking in the room, there's like a psychological game checklist that I go through in my head yeah. before I get to the point of going, listen, guys, <laughs> <laughs> people want to listen. Could you buzz off? Sure. You know, so there's a bunch of things I try to do before I get to that point. That's it, man. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I mean... Yeah, you can only play Summer of 69 so many times before someone just gets start throwing something at you, you know? That's right. Do yeah. it like Ryan Adams. Yeah, that's Ryan it. Ryan Adams. Oh, man. Well, again, man, I think um, uh, 
We certainly have come to the end of the conversation. I think we have. Um, we've, we've certainly touched all the bases. Yes. And we've um, gone to know each other a lot better, which we is fantastic. Done, yeah. It's been great, I, Dave. I, I, yeah, I was thinking back, when was the last time I saw Shannon? And I actually remembered while we were talking. Yeah. Um, and it was Brett and, and myself had a, con- a combined birthday one year for our 25th. I remember that. Up yeah. at my mum and dad's place. And I think it was a red party red, or something. Red party. Yeah, I had red nail polish on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I remember you were there and Marcel, like the whole crew. Yeah. And that was, I think that was the last time I saw you, man. So that was 2005 and it's now 2018. Yeah. So it's, it's been great to catch up, man. Been good. Thanks, All right, Dave. brother. Ciao, dude. See ya. See ya. that's a wrap for this week thanks for listening if you liked this episode give the podcast a share on social media why not use that hashtag art of touring podcast on instagram and give us a follow at art of touring also go check out my band smokestack rhino who are featured in this podcast every week our opening and closing theme is a song called screwdriver girls and you can check out the whole song on itunes and you can follow the band on instagram facebook soundcloud Bandcamp, Twitter, even our very own website, www.smokestackrhino.com. To keep up to date with our gigs, though, give us a like on Facebook, where all of our dates will be uploaded as soon as they come in. If you'd like to get in contact with me, please email me directly at artoftouringpodcast.gmail.com. Maybe you'd like to come on the show. Hit me up. I'd love to hear from you. You can listen to Art of Turing on Wooshka, and you can download it on iTunes. If you have enjoyed this episode or previous episodes of the podcast, please take a moment to give the podcast a rating within the podcast app on your phone. So just grab out your phone, uh, look for Art of Turing on iTunes or Google Podcasts or wherever you listen to it. Hit five stars and write a short review for me. That'd be rad. That's all for this week. Before I go, I have a few shout-outs. Shout-out to Chris Wall, who designed the artwork for the show. You can follow him on Instagram at Mr. Wall, spelt W-A-H-L. Big thanks to my guest this week, Shannon Bourne. You can follow him on Instagram and Facebook and grab a copy of his latest album, Words Fail, on all the streaming and downloadable channels. Now let's get into some plugs. My band, Smokestag Rhino, are playing a show at the Man Hotel in Falls Creek, up at the snow. Hey, how about that? On Friday, the 31st of August. Then in September, we're heading up to sunny Queensland, a lot more warmer up there, to play the Mitchell Creek Rock and Blues Festival on Sunday, the 23rd of September. Uh, then on the 27th of September, we'll be at Frankie's. At Frankie's Pizza in Sydney Then finishing that run of shows With the Longview Farm Party On Saturday the 29th Go to our Facebook page to see all of the upcoming dates You can download our debut album From iTunes Or go to our Bandcamp page To purchase a physical copy Or grab a t-shirt That's all from me this week Thanks again for listening Tune in next time for another episode of Art of Touring with the Sith Dog Ow, ow, ow Remember, this week's podcast was brought to you by Bob's Country Bunker, featuring the good old Blues Brothers boys from Chicago. 